Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. And from 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... Uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Okay. Oh, yes. Right. Fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Yeah. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and it, there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 movie the 430 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app download it today hello and welcome to best movies never made a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production most of the time the movies you're trying to make don't get made like four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Suddenly the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And we are the Inglorious Tracksperts. And have we got a show for you today? It's yes, the, we do. We, we, it's a show. And it's going to be today. about an hour. So it's a show. <laughs> it is the Star Trek shows that Star Trek inspired. The, the Star Trek legacy. Inspired. Yeah. I'm Barbara Bain. I'm Martin Landau. Join us here on Channel 11 for the most exciting new television show ever. Space 1999. The excitement never stops. The moon is hurled into outer space. Taking us and you into unlimited adventure. Come with us and our co-star Barry Morse. Space 1999. It's going to be a very good year. Right here on Channel 11. I, I wanted to say... The best and worst Star Trek ripoffs, but that sounds mean. It sounds yeah. mean. I don't want to be mean. There's enough meanness in the world right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tone it down a little bit. It's and the it, best of all worlds. The, be the best, best of, of all worlds. There you have. Worlds. <laughs> okay, and, and and since we're doing a best of all worlds, we have one of our favorite people, one of the best people I know, uh, joining us. Um, he is the co EP of the upcoming show on Netflix, 
Magic the Gathering, based on the uh, beloved collectible card game. He is also a former writer on shows like The Clone Wars, um, X-Men, the animated series, Batman, the Brave and the Bold. He's done it all. And he is none other than (laughs) one of our favorite 430 movie podcast hosts. Joining us here on the Trexperts is (laughs) Mr. Stephen Melching. Happy to be aboard, Captain. Captain. Always happy to come aboard. (laughs) Unfortunately, what we got back didn't live long. (laughs) Um, But no, it's it's good to have you, Steve. Um, This is going to be an interesting topic. Of course, Trexpert Ashley Edward Miller is back. You know him as the showrunner of Dota Dragon's Blood on Netflix, which is now uh, going to its hit second season. Uh, Of course, a writer for Black Sails. Um, He was a writer of... You know him as the five-time champion of the Roman circus. That's right. (laughs) And... uh, you choose the winner. And speaking of that, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people were recording these episodes now so so uh, topically that I can actually talk about last week's episode, which was literally a week ago. It aired a couple of a week ago um, because when we were in the studio, we'd record a whole bunch of episodes. Could be a month before it aired. But now uh, we're actually talking about stuff that just happened. And I want to say how gratified I am at the response to our great Star Trek VI debate between Steve Asbell, the president of 20th Century Films, 20th Century, formerly 20th Century Fox, and um, Darren Docterman, uh, our very own co-host, who debated in such a civil manner. No one was slapped. No one got a, a you know, they, nobody called for pistols at dawn. Um, it was <laughs> oh, a, you should such, have seen what happened afterwards, though. It was yeah, such a was nice crazy. conversation between the two, pro and con, about Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. And um, I was so gratified um, by the response, a lot of people, Darren, and, and you know, you had the harder job, no question. Now, you had the harder job as a con, as a, a con no, <laughs> a, no sing. Uh, so, uh, you know, basically saying that you didn't like the, you know, you're not a fan of the movie, why you're not a fan of the movie, articulating that. And, and I was really gratified to see so many responses from our listeners on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, emails, things like that. Um, where they all said, you know, I'm a fan of the movie, but I really felt Darren made some great points. You know, um, there were people who don't like the film, but um, a lot of people were like, wow, Darren really, you know, he opened my eyes to things about this film that I think are flawed that I never thought about before. Of course, that being said, they voted 79 to 21 against me. So the poll is still (laughs) going on as we record this, but yes, that's true. But I I, I think it was a a really... um, ringing endorsement for, uh, you know, how well you conducted yourself in the fight. Well, it was sure fun, and I'm uh, glad we did it, and I look forward to many more such adventures. It was interesting, (laughs) even with a two-hour episode, two-hour episode, maybe more than that, um, so much we missed. We didn't really talk about the mind meld Mm -hmm. uh, between Valeris and um, Spock, you know? You are logical. You must shoot. I mean, which was so weird that it takes place on the bridge, wasn't it? Yeah, it but is, it? I will tell you that, like, for me, kind of looking at the response um, and, and look, I was one of those people who even in the podcast, I said, Darren, that like I agreed with many of the, the points that you made about the film. Some of the things that people came up with on Twitter reminded me of the things that I actually loved about the movie and forgot just small moments like Captain Sulu being awakened. Right. To be told, like what was happening, right? To be pulled out of bed. Like there was just something about that that was just like, 
That's by Christian most, Slater. By Christian Slater. But that was just felt like, of course, because his mom was did this casting director for the film uh-huh. and he wanted to be in a Star Trek film. But so what? He's an actor. Could have um, been, if he hadn't been arrested, we could have had him in Free Enterprise. Right. The USS Nepotism. Fly apart then. You know, and just, there's just uh, so many things. I'm just, oh, yeah. Target that explosion and fire. fire. Right? Yeah. But I was Ooh. interested because you guys didn't really talk much about Kim Cattrall, um, you know, who played Valera, Valeris, um, which was basically originally supposed wasn't to be any solid. Time. wasn't any time. Two and a half hours. And, you know, it's funny. Steve would have known this. Um, I, I was surprised how many people didn't realize that that the famous quote from Star Trek Six, "Don't wait for the translation, answer me now," which we've talked mm-hmm. about, was Adlai Stevenson at the UN talking right. to the Soviet ambassador, and, and people thought, "Oh no, this was." People didn't realize that. So even you know we're talking about, oh my God, there's so many references to contemporary politics and history and and movies and Sherlock Holmes, but it's even funny, some of the that- references. That really bothered me at the time because they were so forefront in my mind when that movie came out. But I guess maybe an audience today wouldn't have those frames of reference. So they they don't uh, they don't know who guess who's coming to dinner is. They don't yeah. know that that's a Stanley Kramer movie with Sidney Poitier. Can you believe how little at the Oscars they did on Sidney Poitier? I mean, God, the man, that man was a freaking legend. And, and yeah. I mean, that in memoriam section was an embarrassment where they had the singers singing and doing an upbeat song spirit in the sky. Was it like, it was like guardians of the galaxy to in memoriam. On the nose. little on the nose. Yeah. Really bad. Really bad. Well, you know, and especially, you know, I mean, it has old lyrics about, you know, what, what, uh, with Jesus too, which I, I'm sure some of those people like Peter Bogdanovich probably didn't love anyway. So, um, <laughs> Enough, but Darren, the whole point of this was to congratulate you on a really great debate, great fight uh, with Steve Asbell. I I had a great time, and uh, and the great thing is, I didn't prepare one whit for it. Really, is that true? (laughs) It was totally off the top of your head, totally off the cuff. Wow, imagine if we had Steve do it, it'd probably still be going on. He'd be so prepared. (laughs) And if you look at this graph. You'll notice <laughs> clearly seeing their chronometers. <laughs> I hope that's another thing we didn't talk about. The whole Colonel West thing, which was a, a take on Colonel North, which was the Iran Contra yeah. hearings right. that was going on at the time, and how that was such a direct reference to that. Um, that was Rene Aubergeois who was playing yeah. that role, Colonel West. He's part of the conspiracy, Colonel West. But um what about all the sets they repurposed from next generation? Well, we didn't really talk about that about either. That. A little bit. Yeah, we did. We did. Bit. Not a lot. Just yeah, enough. Yeah. It's not it was worth like talking we talked about, about how it's like so freaking production things. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. So uh but but uh some of us still like that movie. No. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking right. of cheap. Well, look, I, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, for a show that was never particularly successful, Star Trek sure spawned a lot of imitators, didn't it? And that's what today's show is going to be about. It's about the show's good and bad, great, mediocre, entirely adequate, that were spawned in the shadow of Star Trek. And uh, I know there are a lot of them. These are, are shows that, for whatever reason, tried to ape the Star Trek formula, uh, capture the magic. Some, well, I was going to say some did, but very few ever did. Most of these are, are short live series uh, and very esoteric. So I'll be curious to hear if you guys have some series. Let's start with the ones you like before we get maybe some that you don't like. Some of your favorite Star Trek 
imitators. And I'm going to start with Steve Melching. Seems like the 430 movie, except it's the tech. (laughs) Mr. Monday. It's the 430 Star Trek. Well, I guess I would probably start with one of the first uh, uh, imitators to come along. And, uh, you know, the Star Trek formula is a brilliant formula for a TV show where you've got this core cast of, of very vivid, distinct characters, uh, especially for an, an episodic uh, television series, uh, the way most t- pretty much all TV was back then, where every week they have a new adventure. So you take that same group of characters you know, into a new place or a new environment where they interact with with new people and have to solve a problem. And of course, the the show that I am thinking of is the great Space 1999. Staying here in Alpha with everybody, I'd already accepted that. But now there's going to be six or seven lives on that ship. Six. Well, I should be one of those six, Commander. Because if anyone can get them somewhere. which was a favorite of mine uh, watching it in syndication in the mid seventies. And it was what, 1975 to 77, the two seasons of space. Uh, 1999. Yeah. You're the one who does the research, Steve. (laughs) And uh, I think for the most part, it's a, it's a really successful imitation of star Trek Uh, rather than a starship. They're on a moon that is somehow our moon, our moon. that have been blasted out of Earth's orbit due to the detonation of nuclear waste on the dark side, uh, sending it on a, a random, you know, careening across the galaxy uh, where it every week it somehow passes close to some new mystery that the, the crew gets involved in. Um, but uh, it's, I always found it a really compelling show. Uh, it, it is so, first of all, it has one of the great themes, theme music, main titles of all time that theme music and the, and the opening title sequence is fantastic. Um, it's got a terrific cast led by, you know, Martin Landau and absolutely stunning costume and set design, which is probably on par with the star Trek original series, uh, costuming and set design. I, Andy, I'm... what kind of a show is this? <laughs> <laughs> I love those uniforms, those color coded uniforms with the one yeah. sleeve that was a different color and the and those beautiful, stark, you know, 2001 esque uh, black and white sets uh, of the moon base and the, the Eagle spacecraft. Just a terrific design, um, obviously very much influenced by 2001 as well as Star Trek. But um, yeah. I think a really compelling and f- frankly, scary show uh there was an episode of the everyone uh, talks about dragon's domain mm-hmm. which is still you know was the, probably the most traumatizing episode of television i saw as a <laughs> child absolutely terrifying i would have nightmares about that creature um yeah. just a, just a wonderful show and you know there's a great new book i don't know if you picked up from uh, uh one of our favorite guests here on the podcast uh you may recall david hirsch uh, joined us yeah. to talk about space night his new book called um 
to everything that might have been the lost universe of space 1999. And it's a look back at the history of space 1999. They unearthed a bunch of um, uh, documents uh, about the early history and, and evolution of the show from UFO season two, what became space 1999. Uh, it's a really great book. I just started reading it. Uh, I want to give a plug out. Um, it's not one of my books, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to plug it anyway. And um I doubt I'll ever be writing a Space 1999 book. So way to go, Dave Hirsch. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's a great pick. Obviously, we're fans of Space 1999 here on the uh, on the show. We've talked about it uh, a, a bunch. You know, Darren, you've talked about this, and I think it's really interesting. Space 1999, as much as it was influenced by Star Trek, and that's certainly what Lord Lou Grade and a lot of the stations that picked up the show in the United States wanted, um, it was a huge influence unintentionally on next gen so it influences back i mean you you look at those you look at those costumes specifically in the first season and they're completely related to the one piece sort of jumpsuits and next generation and i think the fact that uh it was a uh uh it was a group uh show it wasn't just koenig and dr russell and and uh, victor. uh Barry morse <laughs> and um, victor bergman um, but uh, it, it was a big ensemble and uh, much in much more of a sense uh, than uh, original TOS. And uh, it it, uh, you know, it has that strange sort of uh, British um, calm to mm. it mm. that has an underlying creepiness that you were talking about <laughs> earlier. Um, and it's just uh, the the music itself is. Uh, sort of very unnerving and uh, the sort of mixture of the miniatures and the uh, interior uh, live action is a real strange combination that the, sometimes the actors seem a little more like puppets uh, in, in keeping with uh, the super Marianation history of, uh, of the producers. So um, it's, uh, it's a very strange show in terms of its tone. Because it it has that creepiness and that that unsettling uh, quality to it. So I want to ask you. On. Well, actually, yeah, that's sorry. what I want to ask you. Um, <laughs> because, like, you know, obviously, uh, uh, people make fun of it because it's such an outrageous premise. You know, the Earth is hurled out of Earth's orbit, but everyone's fine, and it's going from planet to planet, solar system to solar system every week, on going on these adventures. But if you get past that. As the guys alluded to, it's a very creepy, mysterious, weird kind of milieu. Do you think that something like Enterprise could have really tapped into that, uh, that Space 1999 did so well? The sense that, or even Voyager, that we're out there, there's no one to help us, it's scary, space is a scary place, and, um, you know, uh, we don't know what we're going to see or experience and how we're going to even survive. You know, I think what... First of all, I always, and maybe it's because I was a kid, but I always loved the premise that the moon got blown out of orbit and somehow <laughs> was hurled, hurled across the cosmos and cool. everything was cool. I mean, it's a cool idea, man. And look, when you're eight years old, you don't know any better. You don't know that that's nonsense. You don't care. And frankly, if you watch that now, like, you don't care. You know, it's just because the cool factor is so high. And what was smart about it is, you know, they never, um, they never tried to undermine or undercut 
the seriousness of their own premise. Everybody who is on that show fully committed to the premise. They fully at committed. least in the first season. Well, yeah, <laughs> but there was still this notion that um, that they were on their own, that mm-hmm. they were helpless, that the universe was a frightening place, that yep. the only defense against it was their own competence, um, which I always loved and I always resonated to. Um, and you know, Martin Landau was great. And I think the reason why you, I don't know that you could capture that with a Voyager or frankly, even like with a Battlestar Galactica simply because, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a strange distinction to make, but what I think undermined those shows in in a way was the fact that they had direction, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, Voyager, for example, especially was trying to find its way home to earth you know, and because of that, it's like the mission oriented nature made them feel more in control of their own destiny. Mm. Right. Whereas with Space 1999, anything could happen. And it was truly a survival story. That's what it was. And they were hoping against hope that maybe something could happen that could get them home. Um, well, one of the great things was that um, they aren't on a fancy starship. They're in a bunch of aluminum boxes on the surface of the moon. So, and, and you know, windows break every day on the moon. And uh, it's, it's dangerous. It's not, it's not this cushy cabins that you have uh, replicators in. It's, there's really a, a really good chance that everything's going to be screwed up really soon. Yeah. You know, I think what's also interesting uh, about uh, Space 1999 is it was overtly a Star Trek ripoff. I mean, they were pretty much admitting that from the get-go. You know, is yeah. that famous cover of Star Trek versus um, Space 99 of Q Magazine, you know, is, is Space 99 the next Star Trek? Right. Um, you know, they were trying to, you know, leverage the success of Star Trek. And in fact, I think all of us discovered it because we were hoping against hope right. this would be the next Star Trek in a way. And it wasn't. But, you know, one of the things Hirsch had in his book, I guess in, when they were looking at early casting choices that ended up going to Martin Landau, one of the people on their list was William Shatner for Commander <laughs> Koenig. Uh, obviously, they didn't make him an offer or they didn't get him. But so interesting that he was on their list, particularly considering well, Martin Landau was on the was short list for, for Star Trek. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, if they had made him an offer, probably at that point, he would have taken it. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Because he was living out <laughs> he of the totally back of his truck taken it. doing bus and truck uh, yeah. tours. Um, yeah. The other thing that Space 99 really had going for it that Star Trek doesn't is the amazing guest stars. Mm-hmm. Because they yeah. shot in Britain. And there was uh, back then, there was a lot less of the bifurcation between film and TV. Like, you know, big film actors would do TV, yeah. you know, whereas here you didn't get that. Um, so you had people like Christopher Lee and Brian Blessed and uh, some really interesting people on that show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, uh, every week was a, you know, an exciting new adventure. And yeah. uh, it wasn't uh, serialized at all. It was completely different. And of course, uh, they also had Joan Collins, Yep. As uh, the the queen of the Darians, uh, uh, in an amazingly creepy and odd story, um, I think of almost all the episodes as being amazingly creepy and odd. It's almost like it's as a much horror as is a science fiction. Very much so. Well, it's interesting because I remember Starlog number one on the cover was Star Trek. Starlog number two right. was Space nineteen ninety nine. So there yep. you have it. Um, so that brings us to uh, well, Darren. I just want to ask Darren if he remembers uh, what we did on September 13th, 1999. Of course I do. 
Of course I do. We uh, we celebrated the loss of the moon uh, by watching, uh, I think, one or two episodes. Uh, we of watched the more series. than that on Laserdisc. <laughs> on Laserdisc. At Mojo's house. At my place. No, it was no, in my place. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's when you lived in, in on Ventura. Not Ventura. Yeah. On whatever. Uh, yeah, in Sherman Oaks. Burbank. Sherman Oaks, um, yeah. It's all uh, the valley to me. Flyover country, yeah, exactly. um, but <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I, I remember us going out onto the uh, onto the uh, landing outside, looking up just to check to see if the moon was still there. And uh, <laughs> that was so great. Out. <laughs> this is before cell phones, because it would be great if we had video of uh, of us yeah. going out looking at the moon like idiots. Still there, thank yep. God. And what are Space 1999 fans called? I mean, most of the, we know. Niners? Fans Niners? Know, that's Space Nine. Nine. Moonies? Mm. Moonies? <laughs> <laughs> Moonies? Alphans? Moonies? Alphans is a good one. Alphans is a great one. Asians, Alphans. Yeah. Eagles? Oh, no, that's a football. The Moonanites? We got to talk about the elephant the in the room with our quad what, laser. What, what's the elephant in the room? No, the alpha in the room. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I think, you know, as, as bad as some of those episodes were, and obviously, you know, the show was inconsistent. There, yeah. You know, it's not a great show uh, as much as we talk about it on this. It really was the Eagles and the tech and totally. the ships that kept us coming oh, back God, week yeah. after week. Yeah. I mean, the it Eagle. was. Amazing. I had one of those toy eagles with like oh, the whole yeah. like the, the command module off of yep. it and like put the engine on the back and it had I like, still oh. have mine hanging on the wall in my so living room. Jealous. Oh, I just man. had the die cast I loved dinky it so much. I had the, the, dinky. the dinky one. The dinky ah, one. Yeah. Ah. The tiny one. And the model kit. Yes. Yep. And MPC. Yeah. I loved the guns. And oh, those things. guns are so cool. The weird one I had was like this three foot cardboard model that you put together with plastic straws to make the uh, space frame and thick cardboard that you would uh, link together with notches and it was horrible Mm -hmm. but it was fascinating the other thing it had going was that great barry gray music and one of the great main title themes of any of all time uh, of any show yeah i mean and then uh derek wadsworth who took over the scoring duties for season two um also did a great job and that, you know, for as good as the uh, first season theme song was, second season was pretty cool, too. It's no slouch. Yeah. But it, it's so interesting. And then we'll move on to another show to watch the retooling. Because season one, yeah. you know, the ratings started to atrophy at the end of the season. And so, you know, they hired a new showrunner in Fred Freiberger, familiar name to us Star Trek fans. And, you know, added a bunch of action. But the way that they incorporated, well, we're going to add the shape-changing alien with Maya. But then the opening credits, where it's like, all of a sudden now, he turns around and fires a laser yeah. gun, Martin Landau, at the beginning. Yeah. And then yeah. he's red alert. And he's like yeah. trying to create a sense of action and excitement. Oh, and my God. It, I remember seeing a little behind-the-scenes documentary to uh, talk about the second season. And everyone had their talking points. Well, there's a lot more action now. Oh, we're, we're an action-based show. And, uh, you know, the heart is still there, but uh, we're ramping it up in terms of action. So, yeah. The season one was all about the ennui of will we ever get back to our season two. was That's like, right. we're going to kick ass. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to kick some ass. With <laughs> From our, the moon. We, we got lasers now. We got lasers. <laughs> Awesome. Space lasers. Okay, so that's Space 1999, a fine pick for um, some of the best Star Trek ripoffs. I mean, uh, films, uh, shows inspired by Star Trek. Darren, what about you? What's a show that resonates for you that was inspired by Star Trek? Well, uh, you may think you know where I'm going when I first talk about uh, the company that made this. Filmation. Oh, Oh, God damn it. Filmation. Now, just wait. Okay. Filmation was a company that uh, 
did a lot of uh, animated uh, shows in the early 70s. And uh, they had some contact with Star Trek. But later on, in uh, uh, later years, they put out a bunch of live action, science fiction based shows. Mm. Uh, um, among them were uh, a show called Arc 2, which was a uh, sort of a very uh, tree hugger kind of uh, uh, word of warning for the future as they drove around in this giant RV. That, uh, How is that tree hugger? It's a post-apocalyptic uh, story, just like no, uh, Silent exa- Green. Exactly. But it, it was all it was all tree hugger to say, look what happens if we destroy the environment. Well, maybe if we paid attention to Arc 2, we, we'd be in a better position today. Well, and we'd have more uh, chimpanzees, more chimpanzees <laughs> running around in uniforms. Um, but after that, in 1977, uh, Norm Prescott and Lou Scheimer made a show that uh, on the surface is really cool. On the surface. Uh, in reality, it's something quite different, but it's still enjoyable memories for me. Uh, it's called Space Academy. to man's most magnificent achievement in the conquest of space, the man-made planetoid Space Academy, founded in the star year 3732. gathered young people from the farthest reaches of all the known worlds. They have been chosen for their unique abilities and are being trained to cope with the mysterious, the unknown, the unpredictable dangers lurking in the vast darkness of space. Yes. And, uh, it uh, apparently Space Academy is uh, located on this asteroid that's floating around somewhere in space. We don't really know where, uh, but it has asteroid. Uh, it has cool uh, spaceships flying around. Space Academy itself is uh, a a grand collection of plastic cups and bowls uh, <laughs> uh, glued glued to this uh, fake rock, and um, of course the uh, the oldest fake rock of them all, Jonathan Harris. Stars as Commander Gampu, uh, the uh, head of Space Academy mm. and the uh, and the chief uh, professor of uh, spaceology uh, that uh, teaches this uh, young group of uh, young people, uh, including uh, the uh, unfortunately named Rick Carrot as Chris, uh, our favorite. Well, I knew uh, that Jonathan uh, Harris liked carrots. Oh dear. Um, and uh, <laughs> the uh, the lovely and. Uh, uh, talented uh, Lucy from the early Charlie Brown uh, uh, specials, Pamela Ferdin, uh, Brian Tochi played a character called Tigar, and uh, a, a distant friend of ours, Eric Green, uh, was a, a child actor at the time. He played a character called Loki, uh, which was, uh, or did they pronounce it Lokai? Hmm. Um, and he was uh, he was a uh, fascinating. Uh, younger character who was sort of alien sort of yeah. uh but it was it was a fascinating you know it was a typical saturday morning show that was definitely aimed at kids uh apparently by kids 
uh, the stories weren't uh, all that complex or uh, interesting, but uh, man, the uh, spaceships flying around and the sets were kind of cool. And, uh, and uh, you know, seeing Dr. Smith with a horrible hairdo um, was uh, really an interesting thing to see. Uh, but it's uh, it's a great uh, a great memory from uh, when I was a kid, and uh, of course they had uh, a robot that uh, that uh, rolled around, and everyone was friendly with him. And this uh, isn't that different, is it, uh, Steve? From what happened with Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, where they completely retooled it, because of course yeah. we had Jason of Star Command and and Space Academy, which were pretty much the same show in some well, ways. Well, yeah, it seems like Star Command came later. Right. Yeah, so they Star said Command that was, Star Command was located on the same asteroid right. somewhere within Space Academy. Right. And and I think was actually it was supposed to be like the the commander was supposed to carry over and then didn't. Um, so they cast like Jimmy Doohan. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and Sangalay Peoples wrote a bunch of Jimmy those Doohan. episodes. That's, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, Star Command was followed. It was kind of a sequel series, I guess, that came out in yeah. the following year. Danger hides in the stars. This is the world of Jason of Star Command. A space-age soldier of fortune determined to stop the most sinister force in the universe. Dragos, master of the cosmos. Aiding Jason in his battle against evil is a talented team of experts, all working together in a secret section of Space Academy. Jason of Star Command. And it right. seems like uh, Jason of Star Command was a reaction to Star Wars. Uh, right. If, uh, if uh, Space Academy was sort of inspired by Star Trek, they're like, oh, Star Wars is all the rage. It had come out right. the year before. It was still probably in theaters. And they're like, okay, we got to retool this and yep. more Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And you definitely see that with some of these shows where Star Trek becomes less of an influence. And clearly Star Wars, you know, certainly something like Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars is much more of an influence than Star Trek. You know, although- Galactica is kind of an interesting amalgam of the two in a way where you've got this uh, this iconic starship on a on a, a journey lonely across quest. the stars, a lonely quest. Right. But it has all the action uh, and uh, of the Star Wars. Because, of course, the you know, if we're to believe the uh, the legend. Uh, it was, in fact, Galactica was developed years before Star Trek, Star Wars, rather, um, and I, which I think is is the truth. Though I do think that a lot of changes were made to get it to actually be bought. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it was uh, developed by, according to legend, uh, <laughs> and uh, the great uh, uh, book. Uh, so say we all the oral <laughs> history of Battlestar Galactica by Ed Gross and Mark Altman. Um, but um, it was a, a show called Adam's Ark, and it was basically Noah's Ark, except instead of sending animals, uh, uh, you know, into a flood, a bunch of the world's greatest scientists and most important people were basically sent off of Earth uh, before it's destroyed. And so St- Star Trek, you could argue, was very much an influence on Glenn Larson's uh, Adam's Ark. And then, you know, he retooled that after the after reading the script for Star Wars um, because it was uh, bouncing around Universal because after American yep. Graffiti, uh, George Lucas um, had uh, was trying to get Universal to do Star Wars. So Glenn yeah. Larson read it, knew it was going to be a hit and then was already working on getting Universal and ABC to do um, uh, what was now Battlestar Galactica. 
Uh, I, I just like to know where the oral history of uh, Space Academy is coming. Well, you know, I think that's a question for Eric Green. Um, but and uh, I look. I, I think th- honestly, I, a, a an oral history on all of the filmation uh, mm. offerings would mm-hmm. be fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, Norm Prescott and um, Lou Scheimer have passed away at this point. Yes, but there still are people that work with them that are. Um, alive and well. In fact, I recently had a Trexpert briefing room. Um, uh, uh, Peter and Lisa had uh, Bill Reed on, you know, yep. who's one of the directors. So um, uh, there is a chance to still, I think, cover that material. But I have such fond memories, particularly more so even of the shows than the the the, the weekend before the Saturday morning lineup debuted, where they would be promoting the Saturday morning lineup and the TV guide ads. You know, new show. Jason of Star Command on CBS. And it's like, ooh, Jimmy Doing in space. <laughs> That's <laughs> that back when I thought it was before. that was exciting. Yeah, um, okay. Wasn't it NBC? I no, I think it was CBS. No, CBS. Huh. Yeah. No, I, I, I love keep, that. I keep show, seeing man. the I blue and red N next to it. Maybe I'm maybe we, I'm just remembering. I turned the channel from uh, Super yes. Friends and uh Scooby Doo yep. on ABC, which was over ABC. To CBS. Over to CBS. Yeah. yeah, so are you, Ashley, are you a fan of uh, Space Academy? Oh, I lived for Space Academy and Jason and Star Command. I lived for them. Like, I mean, obviously, like, Star Trek occupied a place in my heart that no show will, will ever occupy. But at the, at the proper age, right? Like, that was like Star Trek for me. Yeah. You know? You know, um, for kids. Yeah, exactly. It was just it it just it hit me right in the sweet spot. And I didn't care like that the it was the same damn asteroid like in Jason's Star Command that it was like in Space Academy. And I didn't care like about the special effects or any of that. I just kind of cared that there was Scotty and except he didn't sound like Scotty and like and there were like you know, a thousand just, accents. Sid Hay. He could play everybody. Right. Sid um, Hay as the baddie. I just Dug it. Look, man, it was it was science fiction on television. We take this so for granted yeah. in 2022 that it's just ubiquitous. But it wasn't goddamn ubiquitous in like 1970, whatever the hell. It just it wasn't. There was so very little of it. The, what we got, it was like being thirsty in the desert, and somebody's like, "Here is a nearly empty bottle of Zima," you know, <laughs> and just like <laughs> here's a couple of drops. Got of some it. backwash in it, but. You're going to drink it, goddammit. But you're going to love it. And the thing is, it's not just that you love it, you appreciate it. One (laughs) of the funny things about it is that the uh, uh, one of the main writers on Space Academy was Alan Duchovny, who uh, was the producer of Tom Corbett's Space Cadet in the early 50s. So there was a direct linearity between these uh, this other show that... um, ostensibly uh, informed Star Trek as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a, an interesting sort of link there. But what's so great is you start to see, well, it's not great, but you see the end of that era um, happening in real time because, of yep. course, famously, and we're jumping ahead, um, Buster Crab, who had mm-hmm. been in Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon in, Which in is the serials. Which is a porn star name. Um, he <laughs> he uh, uh, guest starred <laughs> on the first season of Buck Rogers. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, he has that great line to Gil Gerard. I've been doing mm. this since before you were born. Right. And, uh, you know, it's very self-aware and very meta, but it's super fun. That's part of the fun of that first season of Buck Rogers, uh, which no one would argue was influenced by Star Trek. We'll get there. But um, 
uh, so, you know, but you see a lot of the legends starting to, to die off. Because, yeah, I mean, and you have the new, uh, the, the, the new, the new forces of sci-fi, the next era, next generation, so to speak, because you see David Gerald on Land of Lost and DC Fontana yeah. on Land of Lost and on Logan's Run, the TV series, and on, yeah. of course, Fantastic Journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So, um, there's really sort of that handoff. Uh, you know, of one generation of writers to the next in a lot of these shows, because you see the people that grew up or even worked on the original Star Trek now starting to get their own shows. And so, Ashley, I have a question for you. There's yeah. no one who more who attempted to recapture the magic of Star Trek more than the man who created Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had many attempts. Uh, uh, we you know we talked about Genesis two and. Um, uh, what was the other uh, aborted pilot that he Planet, uh, Earth. Planet Earth? You know, but long after he passed away, you worked on Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. This is Captain Dylan Hunt. The next mission of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda is just moments away. Brace for impact. An empire will fall. Get us out of here! A hero will rise, and one ship, a captain, and his crew. Will unite in the fight for freedom. Now! See how it all began. Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Gene really loved the name Dylan Hunt, man. Um, he <laughs> he kept trying to make it. You know what? That was, it was like, you're not going to make fears happen. Um he really kept trying to make Dylan Hunt happen. And um, so did everybody in elementary school. Oh, wait. No, totally. Uh, and finally, you know what? We did. I mean, it's um, it was it was interesting working on a Star Trek show that was not a Star Trek show with a former Star Trek producer who was trying to make it be Star Trek yet not. I mean, just the levels of meta on that show were just kind of off the charts and also just being a Star Trek fan and, and going at something like that with, um, with all of the things that, that, you know, I appreciated about, you know, the original series about the next generation, about Deep Space Nine, about all those things, but at the same time looking for ways to make it um, kind of feel different and feel like it's its own thing. And it's a, it's a tall order. But I, but one thing I learned about it is that what really, well, I'll say two things. Number one, we had a saying, um, you know, and I've, I think I've talked about this at some point, maybe on a panel, um, but uh, whenever we would encounter a story problem that was, that was difficult, that was challenging to get past, we would ask ourselves, what would Gene do? And of course we meant Gene Coon. But we did ask ourselves, <laughs> what would Gene do? And, you know, the, the thing that it kept coming back to, though, and I think like that, that makes a, a show that feels like Star Trek feel like Star Trek is, it has to be about finding places and learning things about ourselves um, through others. Uh, it's about teamwork. It's about being competent. Um, it's about trying to be decent, you know, even when your instincts, uh, leads you to a place where perhaps you don't really want to be, you know, just being decent in spite of yourself. 
Um, and that was a, a lot of what was at the at the heart of uh, Andromeda, and I think is at the heart of a lot of the shows that were that were that we're talking about. We had that conversation just now about Space 1999. I think like, look, you can't do a kid's show in the 1970s without making it um, about, you know, that sort of optimism and sort of be good and, and all that other stuff. You're not doing like the dark kid's show in the, in the 1970s. And it, it just, it was instructive to me for what makes Star Trek, Star Trek. I mean, cause it very easily could have been an incredibly um, dark, show where everybody cried all the time and who wants to watch that no one wants that no i guess not um okay so ashley uh, which brings us sort of like is there a show um that you uh you do love of that era uh that that spoke to you uh in terms of trying to recapture the star trek magic well it's funny because the the show that i really wanted to talk about we, we just talked about uh, you know, was the sort of the one-two punch of Space Academy and uh, and and Jason of, of Star Command. Yeah, and I think that there's just this period after the seventies. I mean, look, there's things that you know that we can probably point to, but it's like it's a question of like, is that more Star Trek or Star Wars? I mean, Battlestar Galactica clearly is more Star Wars than Star Trek. There were Star Trekian elements to it, but it just wasn't that. Um, Buck Rogers was also, I, I think. Um, well, I mean, the, you could argue that this that the second season was a little bit trying to be Star Trek, but we all know the second no, season. No, it, it's not a, li- a little bit. It's a lot of bit. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of bit with the searcher with like all of those things. And it just in as much as we love Erin Gray, I mean, and who doesn't? Um, she's a national treasure and I'll fight you if you don't think so. Uh, but it just it wasn't it was I, I love the first season more. And so well, like, the second season was a disappointment. It's an EDS 104. Hello? Is anybody here? By Gideon's trumpet, a human voice. These markings remind me of Egyptian hieroglyphics. The Admiral is convinced that some of the crew are plotting a mutiny. What? Ah! Help me! They're trying to take over the ship! Stand back. You're under confinement. Ah! We're being watched. Enter, master. As Aaron told us on the podcast, she hated the second season because yeah. what happened was Bruce Lansbury, you know, made this sort of campy, fun Star Wars wannabe, you know, Buck Rogers, secret agent, sexy Aaron Gray working with him, you know, and, and it was, you know, it was super fun. I, I'll tell you, know, I loved it. You know, I think, you know, it was it, it brought back a lot of what I love about Batman, the animated series, you know, plus it also had great guest stars of the era. Frank Gorshin, you know, Jack Palance, I mean, Mark Leonard, Mark Leonard, Mm -hmm. Newmar, you know, so so many things. So then on the second season, they hire a new showrunner. This seems to be a recurring theme with a lot of these sci-fi shows. Um, Mm -hmm. John Mantley, who'd done a lot of Westerns like Gunsmoke, but he, you know, decided to turn it into Star Trek. And so it becomes suddenly them on a spaceship, which was the cruise ship from cruise ship to the stars <laughs> inverted, turned over. Um, you know, they couldn't even build a new spaceship for it, uh, which became their enterprise. And I think the first thing we would told them is you need a cool starship if you're going to do a weekly space show. You know, but in search they of- did build one new starship for that season. Hawks fighter. Yes. That's Hawks right. Fighter, that's right. So in the, in the, in the premiere of second season, it's Hawk, Tom Christopher, and his ill-fated <laughs> lover, 
Barbara Luna. Mar- Marlena Moreau. The bird woman. <laughs> the bird woman. Who, 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 who dies and now Hawk wants his revenge and his Hawk fighter. Um, but it, it's so misguided. Uh, yes, my dear boy. Yes, dear Buck. Uh, yes. They, 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 they cast uh, uh, Wilfred Hyde White, as Steve just alluded to, and, and uh, <laughs> as uh, the doctor who made John Hoyt look spry by comparison and uh, in the cage. And of course, um, Admiral Asimov uh, uh, was, but there's nobody in that he show. He got made fun of a lot as a kid. <laughs> and, 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 and the set, <laughs> the bridge set looked like it cost a buck 99. A yeah. Um, and, and a great new robot. Oh, Crichton. Not a great new robot. Crichton. <laughs> the yeah. Michael Crichton mm. robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand that. It's like, I mean, that actually, uh, the things that frustrated me about that second season were legion. Um, but, you know, Dr. Ewer isn't in it, you know, and just like just little things that that got changed that didn't have to get changed, you know, that well, just, and the, the Crichton robot just kept rewriting Westworld over and over again until he got it right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about, um, that, you know, just to show how misguided the second season was that halfway through they, you know, they thought, um, you know, that uh, Mel Blanc doing Twicky was too comical. So they replaced him with a different voice. They had to bring Mel Blanc back because people were so upset that he was no longer the voice of Twicky, the yeah. robot. So um, uh, it, it just, I so wanted to like it. And I don't know if there's a worse season of, of, of sci-fi television. Well, <laughs> recently. No, well. But I think there's, there's few <laughs> know. bad seasons of sci-fi television than that second season of, of Buck Rogers. I mean, there are one or two good episodes. There's the Confessions of a Traitor or something where you find out that he may have started the, you know, the the, the war that destroyed mm-hmm. Earth, which Does is I a pretty like, was that the finale? No, but it was it was close to the finale. But then there was an episode with a bunch of little people taking over. And that was sort that was of, and crazy. the children shall lead of uh, Buck Rogers. Off thing. Wait, is that right? Was that the off thing episode? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> although, no, you no, know what? I, level. Nope. I have, I have a strange connection to that two parter where they're trying to find their way across the desert and they meet the little uh, light blue Yoda. Uh, it's horrible. But, I, I have great memories of watching it because it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's as much fun as Buck Rogers season one is season two is completely the opposite. And, and, and this seems to be a recurring trend of these shows that are just hanging on by their fingernails, like space 1999. Yeah. So what do they do? They completely reinvent it and lose the audience that was watching. And it was the same thing with Buck Rogers. They yeah. reinvent it and lose the audience. Yep. that they were watching. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, Gil hated the show and was always complaining. And so, yeah. you know, um, they bring and in the show hated Gil. <laughs> and arguably like it happened. I mean, they gave the damn show a different title, but Galactica 1980, I mean, is kind of the same pattern. Like it just, yeah, you could, yeah, I mean, argue, it's, I mean, obviously it's a different shows. show, but yeah, it, but you're right. It's just, I mean, that, by the way, is uh, as we were talking before about the fact in the 1970s, we didn't have that much. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like, I, that's why we watched all the episodes of Galactica 1980. That's right. Because it was all we had. 
<laughs> it, it was, was all that we had. It was Maybe we had three or four establishing shots of the Galactica to look forward That's to. Right. Sure, it's just <laughs> who doesn't like flying motorcycles? It's not great. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's pretty bad. You but know, then, go ahead. I was going to just say there was like, uh, I mean, my my backups for things that I wanted to talk about was kind of the the Renaissance in the late. 90s that that coincided a bit with the uh, the growth of the the syndicated well let's um, let's come market. back to that let's okay. come back to that because there's still a few key shows in the 70s and 80s that I want to hit before we get to the 90s and you know it's interesting because next to Star Trek probably the biggest influence ironically on sci-fi shows of the 70s of all things was the fugitive but yet even with the influence of the fugitive you still see vestiges of star trek in both logan's run the tv series and planet of the apes the tv series Mm -hmm. i think a lot of that has to do with so many people who worked on star trek working on those shows Mm -hmm. um and they were both short-lived shows but there's a lot of star trek to them you know the idea of humans trying to you know find common ground with the apes and planet of the apes and mark leonard of course playing urko um and in logan's run you see time travel stories um, which is one of the better episodes of Logan's Run. You have, um, you know, an android, the lovable android played by Brent Sp- I mean, played by uh, Donald Moffat uh, as right. Rem. Um, Rem. And uh, there, there's a lot Rem of, job. there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Star Trek in there, despite the fact that uh, the only thing they seem to have in common is they take place in the 23rd century. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh uh, look, I I watched I watched the Logan's Run show. I have it on my server. Um, it's not good though. It's it's really, no, it's not. It, it's really kind of unwatchable. It's, it's uh, interesting. Gregory Harrison is okay, yeah. uh, but uh, he's very. I mean, how could he be more cardboard than uh, uh, than the original Logan? Michael York. Michael York. Michael York. Uh, you know, because Michael York's wandering around having no idea what's happening around him. He couldn't um, even get excited in the orgy scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's on the internet and he said, let's have sex. You know, he's, he's bored <laughs> you know, in, this, in this wonderful world of pleasure. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the well, TV is show. Agater. I mean, that's really, how does Heather Menzies compare? Heather, Heather Menzies, the, the uh, unfortunately named Heather Menzies is uh, uh, she's LinkedIn. lovely to look at. Uh, and she's certainly better than the than the horrible car they're driving around in. Um, but uh, look, it's uh, it's interesting in the fact that they tried to do something like that for network television. Um, but uh, the the restrictions, which usually are a good thing to make a show better and help them focus on what is essential to making a show interesting. Apparently, those restrictions didn't help at all. Uh, and in fact, just took away from uh, their ability to tell interesting stories. And Steve, in the pre-CGI era, you really see these shows struggling with their budget. And perhaps no show struggles with the, uh, its limited budget more than um, Harlan Ellison's The Star Lost. Oof. Bring your torch over here. You're too late, Jeremiah. Why don't you give us one of your long speeches full of curses and have done with it? Devon and Rachel have escaped from your blighted prejudice. Uh, Abraham, we should have stoned you years ago for misleading the young. You silenced me, but you can't silence everybody. Uh, You think you're beyond punishment because you're old? 
the way that you put words into the creator's machine? How long do you expect to keep us ignorant and full of fear? How long do you expect us to believe that death is beyond? Ever since Devon's safe return, beyond is a path to the unknown. Oh, too fearsome for us old ones, perhaps, but the young could follow it. My poor Rachel. Old Abraham, how does it open? Nate Earth, we know not where it leads. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, uh. You mean Cordwainer Birds to start? Yes, Cordwainer Birds. I'm trying to remember if I actually ever saw that. I'm certainly aware of it, but um, it's it's not one that made an impact, I have to say. Interestingly enough, that show made a bigger impact on me because it came before Space 1999. Mm. Uh, It was in... Was it 72, maybe? Yeah, maybe I think early, so. Early 73. Kier Delay. 73, 73 74. Yeah. yeah. Kier Delay, who uh, I was familiar with because I'd, uh, I'd seen 2001 at this point. Um, uh, uh, actress named uh, Gay Rowan and, uh, and someone else. Uh, but, you know, they, they're sort of, sort of young people. I mean, you know, TV young people. Who are in their thirties, thirty-five-year-old uh, high school students. Uh, but uh, you know, it uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, it starts uh, the story of uh, Devin, who is this sort of—he's uh, uh, like a farmer. He's uh, he's a uh, a simple man of the simple earth, and uh, uh, Sterling Hayden is the leader of their community, and he's sort of like a, as close to a Bible thumper as you can see in a Harlan Ellison uh, uh, script. Um, and uh, one day, Devin discovers this portal uh, to somewhere else. And uh, he looks at it, and he comes back, and he tells everybody about it. I found this portal. And he is cast out as a heretic um, because what uh, Devin didn't realize is that everyone thinks that they are on their own planet and their own uh, environment which they are, but they're all in different domes uh, connected to what is the giant Earthship Ark, which is the last remnants of the Earth. No, wait, are you saying that the world is hollow? And And no one touches the sky because it's too freaking hot. Uh, (laughs) They don't have the budget for sky. They don't have the budget for that. Um, This this show was developed in Canada, and uh, Doug Trumbull was instrumental in his uh, Magic Cam process at first, to try and produce this show. Unfortunately, the uh, producers who were involved were, uh, let's just say, they were producers, and uh, they just wanted to uh, basically skim money from it. So the, uh, the long story short is that the production became so untenable that both uh, Doug Trumbull and uh, Cordwainer Bird, a.k.a. Harlan Ellison, uh, left the show and uh, and wanted to have nothing to do with it. You were invited down here, sir, to talk about a project that uh, you started out being very enthused about, what, a year ago? Uh, no, not quite a year. It was uh, Well, maybe, I guess it is, yeah, just about a year ago, February. February of uh, this year. And uh, now, all of a sudden, you are less than happy with it. And that is, a, that is the show that's on NBC Saturday nights at 7 called The Star Lost. Hmm. How the hell? I, I don't even know where to begin. It is. It is. It's like going at a. It's like going at a at a tapestry. Where where do you begin? It's it's. 
it is the most complex, ugly situation I've ever been involved in. Why don't we start at the top and just kind of work through it chronologically and just see how, how, a, how a concept gets oh, translated or mistranslated. Well, I'll try, I, but I have, to, I have to make a couple of disclaimers at the outset. One, I have been warned by the attorneys of 20th Century Fox that if I persist in running my mouth, they're going to sue me. Uh, I have not been stingy in my bad rapping of this series, and uh, particularly in Canada where it's being shot, and the columnists there have picked up on it, and it's got an enormous, enormous play. I did a, an interview over the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, and uh, they are furious. They're absolutely furious about it, and uh, they uh, they keep screaming at me and telling me that uh, they're going to sue, and uh, I, I, I really would welcome such a thing, because I think for once and all, someone ought to take into court the butchers and Visigoths and hold them up for close scrutiny because these people are lower than swine. They're the worst. So uh, if, I, if at some points I say, oh, well, I better not talk about that, it's because I, I can't prove it. It may be so, but I can't prove it. I tried telling this one. I just came back from a college lecture tour, and I, I one, and everybody asked me about it, and I, and I said, look, I'd rather not talk about it. It is painful to me in my gut, and it really is. So the version of the Star Lost that we see uh, in uh, now available on DVD, incidentally, but uh, that we saw live on TV back in the early early seventies uh, was sort of a hobbled version of this vision that they had to make an interesting, serious science fiction show. And uh, of course, Walter Koenig was a guest on uh, on the show, and he played a, a sort of a villain uh, in it, and uh, it's. Again, it's that sort of early 70s, really creepy sci-fi environment that uh, that scared the crap out of me as a kid. But because of that, I've never forgotten it. Well, it's interesting because Harlan, once again, attracted all those great talent like he did for yep. the original Star Trek. Uh, and a lot of Star Trek veterans, Shimon Winselberg, uh, John Meredith Lucas, Paul Schneider, yes. and even ben Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, yep. you know, but... If you want, and obviously we can't spend the whole episode talking about the Starless, but I have to say, if you haven't heard, and I think it's probably available on the internet somewhere, um, Harlan Ellison talking about the rise and fall of the Starless on Hour 25, which was a popular science fiction yeah. radio show. That was before podcasts, there were radio shows, and Harlan <laughs> was a guest on um, on Hour 25, and he talked about the the saga of the Starless, and it is one of the most entertaining, hysterical Things. I mean, as somebody who now has worked in TV for a long time, I, I, I just found it uh, really instructional and unfortunately prescient. And uh, on the on the Amazon Kindle bookstore is a uh, a, a graphic novel version of Ellison's uh, novel of the Star Lost. He calls Phoenix Without Ashes, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. it's available on there. And it's really fascinating. It uh, it kind of shows where the show could have gone had they all taken it seriously and given it enough support. I think that's what he talks about. He said, I had this very poetic uh, uh, title, A Phoenix Without Ashes. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a metaphor. <laughs> and they, when they, they change it to yes. the dumb Canadians, that the Star Laws, they change it to the Star Laws. Yeah. So... <laughs> Pretentious, yes, but I like it too. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think, <laughs> I think, it's, very, I think it's very cool. So, um, Steve, certainly... Uh, uh, the 70s offered a lot of interesting, you know, um, sci-fi shows, obviously spinoffs of popular or semi-popular movies. It offered us uh, Star Wars ripoffs. It offers, us, uh, you know, uh, IP like Buck Rogers. Um, but is there anything more bizarre than Richard Benjamin in Quark? 
Oh, God. Gene, you can best serve the mission and the Confederation by staying aboard. I want you to ready the ship for an escape at a moment's notice. But, Commander... Face it, Spacehead. The Commander's afraid you'll get him killed down there. Just a little robot joke. As this is a suicide mission, I can't order any of you to come with me. I can only ask for volunteers. As a Vegeton, death holds no threat to me. I don't know the meaning of the word fear. Ask me. I'll explain it. (laughs) We'll go, Adam! To die with you would be so romantic. I'd do anything for the chance to die with you, Adam. Thank you both, but hopefully it won't be that romantic. Oh, Commander, this just isn't fair. We finally get a good suicide mission, and I gotta hang up here with this little cowardly hunk of metal. I'm not offended. Cowards live longer. Gene, you'll do as I say. You can't do this to me, Commander. I need action. Knowing that you guys are down there being up here, I'm telling you, I'll go crazy. You'll be fine, Gene. I guess I will, Commander. I'll, I'll just catch up on my letter writing and... Do my nails. That's fine, Jim. All right, are we ready? Betty's. We follow you to the ends of the universe. I would follow you to the door. Prepare to transport down. Gene, transport down. <laughs> yeah. Not in the 70s. Yeah, Richard Benjamin, uh, probably best known for uh, uh, domestic dramas or light light dramas or things and like being uh, the husband of Paula Prentice. Yeah, being the husband or yeah from the great uh, uh, um, Diary of a Mad Housewife. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, this is another show that uh, didn't particularly appeal to me. I thought you were going to go in a different direction in the seventies. A show that I am very excited about, but uh, I, 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 again, I don't have a lot of memories about uh, about Quark, except it being not uh, a show I wanted to watch when I was okay, uh, eleven. Tell years us old. what it was about. Well, it was it was about this uh, ragtag uh, crew on board a uh, space garbage truck basically yeah. it was a garbage cow yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're not saying that it's not to be confused with garbage. salvage one right yeah. not at all to be confused with salvage one um but uh it was a wacky sort of it was labeled as a comedy it wasn't really funny <laughs> um and it had uh you know strange characters uh i believe there was uh, a pair of twin alien girls uh yes there was, I mean, uh, uh, yes there was a sort of a, 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 was there a bald scientist type character? Honestly, I've only seen a couple of the episodes before well, and it wasn't for me either. Ashley, can I you saw help? It. I can, because look, again, these things hit me at exactly <laughs> the right age. Should have gone to the right place. Right? Again, I was, I was thirsty, man. It's like I needed it. It was like a drug. It's like, okay, I got it. It's like, I don't care if it's a dirty needle. Give it to me. It's just... <laughs> It's, I loved Quirk, man. And when you said the twins, I went, oh, yeah, the twins. Like, I mean, come on. Like, well, it's funny. That's yeah. the only thing I remember. Right. <laughs> like, that's so. tender age. There was just sort of something about it. And it was like, it's like, okay, yeah, this is a like Star Trek. If Star Trek were weird, it happened on a garbage truck. And like mm-hmm. Richard Benjamin were the cat. It's almost like everything about it was the anti Star Trek. And it was so like, the anti-particle anti of Star, Star Trek, Trek, that anti-Star Trek, that it wrapped back around to kind of being <laughs> Star Trek. It just in this really bizarre way. I remember like the there was a robot. Like it was just 
Richard, I can't even tell you how inappropriate Richard Benjamin was as the captain of engineering. <laughs> but by God, it was like I waited, man. I waited to to watch that show. Like, I mean, he's no Seth MacFarlane. No, he's not. I mean, and you know what? In a way, like Quark is kind of a precursor to the Orville. Like, it really is. Yeah, it's like, and you can tell, is. like, like there was there was something about it that just sort of felt like again. I'm eight, nine years old that just kind of felt smart and different and just weird. Like you can tell, like when somebody is doing something different than what anybody else is doing, like you can feel it. It's like, there wasn't another show that was like it. And I was always looking for that stuff, man. And usually these shows, like they lasted like a couple of episodes. They were infamously, yeah, like this was eight episodes. Out, this lasted eight, eight episodes. Right? Like um, there was a um there was a show and it was like not inspired by Star Trek, but it was a science fiction. It was like uh the Gemini man, right? That was yeah. basically like the spy show, and it was like he could turn invisible, but it was like the yeah. two like rings or the watches and all that. It was a watch. Yeah, it, it was, was an watch. Apple watch. And I, and I have no idea if that show makes any sense or if it was any good, but I didn't care because at the time, like it was just a big idea that appealed to me. Well, it wasn't that big an idea because it was basically uh, uh, it was the same man. thing. That the invisible. Well, they did the Invisible Man with Dave McCallum. Dave McCallum the year which before, was essentially which didn't the Gemini work, man. and then they retooled it as the Gemini Man yeah. Yeah. with Ben Murphy, yeah. and it lasted about as long. So, yeah. another you know, again, it's like they. Well, keep, that's Murphy's law, right? <laughs> now, and then of course Tim Thomerson played Gene and Gene. In um, that's right, Quark. Uh, that's in, right. in all eight great episodes, but the, the most interesting thing I think about Quark is it had a great uh, pro- progeny. It was the brainchild of Buck Henry. So I mean, I assume we were all big Get Smart fans at the time. Mm-hmm. You would have thought, yeah. oh, Quark's going to be. It's going to be great. You know, it's like he first he turned his attention to secret agents now to garbage <laughs> men in space. But um, custodial you engineers. Would think it would have been better. You would have thought it would be better. Yeah. But Steve, you mentioned that there was a show in the 70s that you want to talk about. I can only assume that is, uh, you know, the, the before there was Next Generation First Run Syndication, there was the extremely unpopular Star Maidens. A society ruled by women. This perfect condition existed as long ago as a thousand orbits, when our planet Medusa belonged to the solar system of Proxima Centauri. These were the golden years of our history. Led by the Grand Council of Women, we had created a world of intellect, of leisure, and of advanced technology where the menial tasks and some others were patiently performed by our men. Then came the great comet Dionysus. As it passed, its vast mass dragged us towards the frozen infinity of outer space. Slowly at first, giving us a chance to plan and build the cities we know today deep under the surface, before Medusa was finally encased in a blanket of ice. (laughs) 
the oh, I thought you were going for Pixies and Wild Boys. I don't remember Star Mains at all. Let me just tell you. I don't either. What are you talking about? I remember about? the twins on court. You don't, don't remember, remember Star, Star Mains? It was a German import, much like Lex oh. would be in the 80s or 90s. <laughs> But you are very- way ahead of me, my man. <laughs> <laughs> but the wow. less said about Star Mains, the, the 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 better. But it had Star in the title, and that's about the only good thing. Um, other than it was about Star Mains. Um, okay. What are you thinking up, Steve? Steve, well, tell us- it's a it's a show that Mark mentioned briefly, but I think it was very much a uh, at least a spiritual successor to Star Trek, and that is the Land of the Lost. Marshall, Will, and Holly on the routine expedition met the greatest earthquake ever known. High on the rapids, it struck their tiny raft and plunged them down a thousand feet below to the land. Which I, uh, which you know, has that direct lineage of of writers from the Star Trek series, uh, led by David Gerald, and you had Larry Niven and Norman Spinrad and Walter Koenig and Ben yeah. Bova and DC Fontana, you know, like all these people that had from the world of science fiction and Star Trek, writing these very sophisticated stories for Saturday morning uh, live action about friggin' dinosaurs, but. You know, it was about this family and they were in this this, uh, you know, sent back to this mysterious pocket reality or whatever. You were on a routine expedition, just on a routine expedition till the greatest earthquake ever known. uh, (laughs) Plunged them into the land of the lost. And I was absolutely fascinated by this show as a kid, like like Ashley, like this was the right show for the right time for me, like the peak of my sort of young pre-Star Wars science fiction and dinosaur mania. And it had all that stuff. It fueled your hunger for banjo-based theme songs. (laughs) Absolutely. I I love the show and I love dinosaurs. And uh, I think think in a lot of thematic ways and a lot of storytelling ways, it is is a successor to Star Trek or or a a descendant of Star Trek. And of course, uh, the, Walter Koenig came up with uh, the idea for the speaking uh, sleestack, Enoch, who uh, came from the future and uh, ran the uh, pylon room and the uh, gate of time and whatever. Uh, but uh, it was very fascinating uh, science fiction. Well, you, you had this family making first contact with these strange races, the Pakune and the sleestack and, you know, uh, trying Hakune, to find a way home. You know, it's a, it's a great premise. Sarisa Taka. It's amazing <laughs> that they chose what a mistake to go the comedy route with Will Ferrell because yes. Land oh and Lost yeah. is not a show that particularly holds up well when you watch it now. But at the time, it was magical. The idea of these characters being thrust back in time 
to deal, you know, and, 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 and surrounded by dinosaurs and having to hide and scrounge. And, but then on top of the whole dinosaur adventure, you had this whole science fiction thing with yeah. the sleeve stacks and yeah. these weird uh, pylons. And like, it was so incredible. And it took itself seriously. I yeah. mean, as goofy as it is, you know, again, super low budget, Sid and Marty Croft, um, still the best thing they ever did as much as I may like H&R Puff and stuff in Lidsville. Um, and it was just so captivating. And it hit you at just the right time when you were a kid. Um, I, I guess because you were, and, and it would never, something like that would never work now. It was all on video and it was this really primitive stop motion. But my God, it was so it's Stop edited. motion and puppets. Yeah, it was yeah. so great. <laughs> And but you can um, do a version Chaka. of that show now that I think would actually be like, I mean, this they is did a do it. Like they did do a new version of it, yeah. which wasn't good. It didn't work. In yeah. the post-Jurassic Park now, world. Right. In the poster. Yeah. Exactly. We live in a world where like somebody goes like they brain fart and they go, you know what? Kids love dinosaurs and they love trains. Dinosaur train. And then suddenly the Henson Company is making money hand over fist for basically <laughs> nothing. Right. I mean, Land of the Lost today. I think there's a show that was ahead of its time, both in not just in terms of the content, but in terms of its uh, its production ambitions. Well, Terra Nova the, should have been that. Instead, yes. we have to take it seriously. We have to, you know, what it would really happen? We're on a, you know, and like, no, Land of Lost emotion. did it right. Well, the because problem there with Terra Nova was that they thought that the characters were interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plus, there's the whole thing that, look, the, to me, the secret sauce of a show like Land of the Lost or any of these is the conflict among the characters is awesome. I'll be the first person to stand up and say that there was a whole lot less peace, love, and understanding in Star Trek back then than we like to think. But um, the it, Land of the Lost was basically the Swiss Family Robinson man like there was there was a familial bond there was an affection between those characters that made us just we cared about what happened to them because they cared about each other and then you stack these big ideas on top of it and a show like terra nova like or the efforts to kind of recapture something like that it's all everybody's an a-hole man and it's just you i I guess sometimes that's okay but it was completely it's completely missing the magic that was Spencer Milligan. It's it's just dreary. I didn't watch the new uh, Lost in Space because I was never a big Lost in Space fan. I know a lot of people who work really liked the new Lost in Space. You know, Netflix spent a lot of money on it. You know, so it was like they felt they really did it right. It was a really great, entertaining show. I'd love to see something like that with Land of Lost, whether as a movie or a TV show. I think you know it's what Roger Ebert said: don't remake you know, the great things remake yeah. you know, the, the bad ones or the flawed ones and land of lost by no means is bad, but what they could do with the technology of today. And, and it was so great because it had that great title sequence too, which in our business, it's called the saga cell where at the beginning of the show, you, you, you tee up what the show is. And I mean, every week that credit is exactly what happened. You know, they went over that waterfall. They found themselves in the land of lost. Plus, you know, this, for, for Darren, you know, we've talked about fonts a lot on the show. Is there a better font than the logo to Land of the Lost? I don't think there is. Well, you know, not since El Cid have we seen a, uh, a rock-hewn <laughs> title uh, as uh, as dynamic as Land of the Lost. <laughs> okay. Dave Addy, don't you agree? Let us know. <laughs> okay. So, um, 
So, yeah, so, the, you know, 70s, you mentioned Salvage One with Andy Griffith. I mean, yeah, there's a little Star Trek in there, obviously. Guy uh, um, Salvage One building his own homemade <laughs> spaceship, you know. It's Andy Griffith builds a yeah. spaceship. Now, could you just see <laughs> SpaceX Blue Origin? Andy Griffith Salvage One. Yeah. <laughs> Why is nobody named their company after that? Oh, my God. I, that would be so cool. That'd be so. I mean, there got to be some billionaire out there. Salvage all the crap on the moon, bring it down to Earth, sell it. There you go. That's right. <laughs> can't 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 miss that. This so, is genuine moon crap. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, absolutely. You know, and we and we already talked about the second season of uh, Buck Rogers. It was Star Trek beat for beat, just not done, not done well. Um, and then oh, the only other big show we missed. You know, because what was bigger in the in the seventies than the Bermuda Triangle and Bigfoot? Huh. And of course, uh, NBC Bigfoot tried to capture Bermuda Triangle. NBC tried to capture the magic with um, Fantastic Journey. What is it? I don't know. Journey to a mysterious, uncharted island where lost adventurers from the past. It looks Egyptian. Future. He is an android, but I and outer space collide you're stranded here just like we are yes jump back in time to this forgotten sci-fi classic with two full nights of the fantastic journey in which our intrepid heroes led by jared martin find themselves stranded on a mysterious island in the middle of the bermuda triangle and dc fontana um that was another show she was involved with yeah for all um Three episodes or whatever it was. It's one of those shows that the intro to the show is the best part of it ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, (laughs) sometimes that was enough that each week I would watch the opening to the show and then just completely lose interest as the as the story uh, progressed. Uh, But uh, it sure was something that uh, was that seemed like it was a fascinating thing at the time. Mm. Now, in that spirit. Right. Of things that are like, OK, it's I, I vaguely recall. Actually, I more than vaguely recall this. Do these things count? The Lost Saucer. Yes. Um, Space Nuts. Far Dr. out. Dr. Shrinker. Yeah, but yes. they're not influenced by Star Trek. Well, we're, we're, you're just, you're, now you're just noting is. everything that's and high space high. and space. Far out. Far out. Space Nuts. Far out. Space Nuts. Yeah. I said, where's my chicken sandwich and coffee, coffee. not lunch. And lunch. (laughs) Lunch, not lunch. lunch. Uh, Far out, man. There was a lot. A lot of of the the magic of the cosmos was something that intrigued everybody on Earth. It's something that we're we're not, uh, that we just skipped over that was, you know, definite science fiction storytelling on uh, network television was the Six Million Dollar Man. Sure. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, that inspired later Star Trek, you mm. know, because of its producer, Harf so, Bennett. Harf Bennett. And it, uh, you know, those shows, while being extremely slow paced, um, the slow actually meant it was going fast. See, that's the switch. Um, but, uh, you know, that also had, you know, wonderful sort of science fiction edges on it with, uh, uh, you know, strange robots, the seven million dollar man, uh, uh, and scary little bits of uh, of uh, Bigfoot and space aliens. Well, who was an alien? Sort of Bigfoot stuff. was an alien robot. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and I knew that. What the, the, the tunnel. What was spookier than the, that weird <laughs> tunnel you went into <laughs> that they I had at Universal Studios? That is gone. Space Mountain. I know it's been replaced by. Um, uh, um, well, for a while, it was, the mum- it was the mummy sandstorm for a while. It was the mummy sandstorm, but now, it. now, now it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fast and furious. Actually, no, oh, no, I it? think it's the king. It's the king. It's the- I was just on it last month. Really? It's the fast king and Kong furious is first. And then they drive around. Oh, you're right. Around yeah, the okay. lake, yeah. And now it's the fast and furious uh, mm. uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most I ever enjoyed a fast and furious experience. Um, okay. <laughs> So uh, that that was the seventies for all its craziness, and um, and and you know, and of course they had the Fembots in Bionic Woman, which was also sort of eye muddish. Sure. Um, but okay, much. so it gets into the eighties, and you have Powers and Matthew Starr, another Hart Bennett, uh, which right. was being contemporaneous with um, uh, his production of Star Trek Two, the Phoenix. The, the Phoenix. Phoenix with Benu, but it was like with a uh, it's uh what's his name Judson, from- Judson Scott. Thank you. Which I loved the Phoenix, man. Like I was obsessed with that. I don't know how Star Trek <laughs> it was, but I was obsessed with that show. I would avenge you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's funny because what you start to see in the eighties is unlike the seventies, where there was this ton of of of, of, of sci fi and Star Trek in, inspired. We didn't even talk about Quester tapes and you know Gene's upboard uh, pilots chances too and Planet Earth. But um, the eighties, you don't see as much of it. You know, right. uh, Galactica they actually had failed, produced more. They actually produced more of them. Mm. Uh, they, there weren't uh, these things that got lost in development. Even the bad ideas got made in the 80s, yeah. uh, like Auto Man, Manimal. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of high concept sci fi, yeah. but Star Wars was less of an influence. You really see the, see the influence of Star Trek um, with the next generation. Post next generation. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, um, you have next generation and first run syndication, and then that inspired a boom in first run syndication, mm-hmm. um, which was a viable career. model, and it started your career. Yeah, and, and, uh, and a, a bunch of shows, um, it, and some really great shows. Like, I mean, you guys know that I'm a huge Farscape partisan, um, which is like speaking of like the Henson Company, which is just like a, just a crazy, insane little show from uh, from from David Kemper. Um, you know, that uh, that somehow like brought Muppets into space and like did all kinds of like really interesting things with serialized storytelling and science fiction that that weren't quite happening yet or really just starting to become a thing at the time. Um, just kind of very um, but but very like, you know, we were talking about the, the family feeling of Land of the Lost. It was a family that sort of found each other, which I think was always appealing about that. But then, you know, Mark, you uh, you you brought up, you know, another German Canadian co-production, uh, Lex, which is literally, literally bug nuts, <laughs> but very like the, the Star Trek is written all over. Mm. I, I, I'm I'm amazed. You know, it, it didn't take long for Next Generation to start to, um, you know, so many imitators because. You not only had um, uh, the first run syndication on Paramount, not only launching uh, Star Trek, but War of the Worlds with a right. lot of the same people. Herb Wright was on that for a while. The original creator of a guy who, who took the first pass at Next Generation um, was. I think uh, that came out the first, the, the, uh, the first season of that was, um, 
during the second season of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. And then they retooled it the second season. Yep. That's and right. they did a whole skip over on, you know, the, the invasion actually happening. It became very post-invasion. Um, and it was Richard Chavez, like, who came onto the show, right? Who was in Predator. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and you had everyone and their mother trying to get in on the Star Trek action. Anyone who had any peripheral association. So Harv Bennett does time tracks for PTEN with Dale Midkiff. And he does that with Gary Nardino, the producer of Star Trek 3, who used to run Paramount's TV. They said, we know a little something about Star Trek. Well, not enough because time tracks was not very good, was it? (laughs) Tech War. Well, I was going to get to that. Then you got Bill Shatner (laughs) jumping in with Tech War. In the year 2044, the most powerful drug known to man is called Tech. An electronic mind stimulant so powerful that fantasy and reality seem one and the same. And if you deal in tech, you'd better be able to pay the price. The court finds you guilty and sentences you to 15 years in cryogenic incarceration. Now, sentenced to a state of frozen suspension, ex-cop Jake Cardigan, wrongly convicted of dealing tech and the death of his partners, is about to return to the living. One slip, one contravention of your parole, and it's back inside. Determined to prove his innocence, he begins a relentless search to find his unknown enemy. And there's one man that can help. Jake, if there was something more I could do for you, what would that be? Help me claim my name. And with Jake's new partner... I'm an android. A level 10. At least. They're about to embark on a deadly game where there are no rules. Are you a sports fan, Cardigan? If you don't back off, the tech lords will kill you. We have some unfinished business, Jake. I don't do business with tech lords. Why my partner's all dead? I'm still alive. What's real? What's not isn't always easy to figure. This is where you killed your partners. Right where you're standing. You know where he is, don't you? I can't see his face. struggle to survive in a future world where things aren't always as they seem. Greg Ethigan, Eugene Clark, Tori Higginson, with special appearances by William Shatner and Sheena Easton. Fuck her up. Tech War. Which has nothing to do with Star Trek other than everything. <laughs> everything but an R. And the great Greg Evigan. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it was made a a series of TV movies that ended up becoming a short lived TV series. Um, And and Chatner had a recurring role as his boss on that. I certainly hope so. How can we forget Galaxy Quest? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The Galaxy Quest TV series. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you see more and more people trying to get in on the Star Trek action. And, you know, PTN, which was Warner Brothers' first run syndication arm, jumped in uh, in a big way with Babylon 5. Babylon 5, it's a time bomb. Private little wars break out every day. For freedom. For freedom. For freedom. For peace. That is my purpose on Babylon 5. We will attack. Hey, look. Got an energy spike. Hold on. Kill everyone. Launch. Now. 
You were foolish to leave Babylon 5. But sanctuary there. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Now I want the truth, and I want it now. I won't let this happen. Not again. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. We live for the one. We die for the one. Your time is coming gone. It's our turn now. Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall, where dreams are born and die, where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. We can take care of them in Bari. Arrogance and stupidity all in the same package. How efficient of it. Stay in formation. No one gets through, no matter what. The human race ends with the current generation. But at least we will have a fighting chance of taking them out with us. They've seen this us. Alert. Presumed to be hostile. Weapons high. Fire at will. I repeat. Fire! TNT has made an unparalleled commitment to Babylon 5. Producing an original fifth season to complete the five-year story arc. Babylon 5. Strong and getting stronger, exclusively on TNT. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and uh, picking up Joe Michael Straczynski's show, um, which was contemporaneous with the launch of Deep Space Nine. And at the same time, we talked about Andromeda. And And, and let's not forget the favorite of all the brown coats, uh, Firefly, which was only on for one season. Yeah, the question about Fireflies, do you consider that influenced by Star Trek? Of Is course. it more Star Wars and Westerns than really Star Trek? No, remember, Star Trek is wagon train to the stars. <laughs> so this is wagon train to the West. Yeah. It's basically a spaceship in the West. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of flipping that on its end. Uh, on moons, it's moon trek. Sure. <laughs> a lot of moons. Then, well, the, other, the other interesting show that comes out of this whole period is you know Tracy Torme, who was the um, uh, right. uh, the Golden Boy of Star Trek for a short time, uh, uh, launches uh, Sliders for Fox. Good morning, Northern California. What are you doing in bed? Meet Quinn Mallory. Is that the same shirt you had on yesterday? I got a fly. In school, just supposed to be the brightest of the bright, best of years. He's a dreamer, Mr. Mallory. You might at least give me the courtesy to pretend that you are listening to me. At work, he's a slacker. I'm not that late. The man just fires you. But in his basement laboratory... My attempt to create the world's first anti-gravity device has taken a bizarre turn. Anti-grav, uh-uh. Something else, definitely. He's a scientific genius. Oh, my God. You've solved it. A parallel universe is a theoretical concept. It gets better. A lot better. Yeah, which uh, didn't have any White Castle burgers in it whatsoever. And I'm very disappointed. <laughs> and had this guy, um, this writer, uh, his name was Borge R. R. Barton. Mar- Marker? Something. Something <laughs> Martin. Something. Something. J.R.R. Martin? Something like that. He was in it. <laughs> he was he in Sliders? Later on Sliders. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Oh, he was in the writer's room on sliders? Yeah. Oh. He was in the sliders room. He was in the sliders room. Eating plenty of sliders. Yeah. Yeah. 
Somebody no, has to. That's right. Well, I mean, he, you know, look, and, and another great sci-fi novelist who was, you know, working on sci-fi TV. That was an interesting thing because, of course, Slyers, you know, again, it, it, after it got canceled off Fox, gets picked up by Sci-Fi Channel and Sci-Fi sort of, you know, has less budget, but they want to lean more into the sci-fi than into what Fox wanted because their big episode was the one where they slide into a world of dinosaurs. That was the final, that was the, the story that broke the camel's back for Tracy. He's like, all they wanted was, that was like their biggest rated episode. He's like, that's all they wanted after that, you know, high concept stuff where they could put in the commercial, like dinosaurs and humans. Well, if it's their biggest rated episode, that weren't they right? Well, but you know, was that, was that, was that, was that, sustain, was that right. sustainable? Was that sustainable? You know, they, 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 is anything. You know, I don't know. I don't know about that. And what, then, what, you, what about a show like Quantum Leap? Would you consider that? Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a high concept story about a, a person jumping into different. I'd actually like put David, Quantum, uh, David Lee Roth. Right. <laughs> I, I'd actually put Quantum Leap more in the category of uh, of the fugitive. Actually, mm, interesting. Because he's yep, a fugitive yeah. from himself. Well, right. like Quantum Starman. Leap basically was Donald Bellisario's episode of Galactica called Experiment in Terra, where Apollo right. goes to help somebody and appears in the guise of someone else. Right. And they don't recognize him as Richard Hatch. Um, I mean, that literally is Quantum Leap. He looks like Jamie Bamber. It's so weird. <laughs> um, and and uh, so that was the that was the influence for for Quantum Leap. Um, but there is a certain Star Trek quality to it in terms of of it. But uh, then you start to see more recently um, the continued influence. I mean, our Spielberg took his shot with Earth 2. NBC committed for two seasons and probably wish they had committed for none. They did yeah. a couple of shots. They did Sequest DSV as well. That's mm-hmm. correct. I think that's more related to Star Trek than certainly Earth 2. I think Earth 2 was was basically lost in space. Yeah, that's uh, true. Well, Sequest definitely tried to be Star Trek and in its second season, which also went through a dramatic retooling, they yeah. uh, really tried to be more Star Trek. And at one point, remember when Roy Scheider left the show and was replaced by Michael Ironside? Right. Yeah. See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> what party? <laughs> I didn't get an invitation to the party. What party is everybody going to? Can I get a yeah, ride? we should have David Burke on, on, on Trexperts Unbound one day to talk about Sequest. He has great Sequest stories. He was the uh, showrunner on uh, Wise Guy, so I know him uh, uh, from Wise Guy, and um, uh, he has great Sequest. I don't know if you tell him on the podcast, but oh my God, he has great stories. Well, I, worked, like, I worked a little bit on, late, on later Sequest, and that's where I first met John Eads. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? He got his start there. You were designing I, dolphins? I was designing all sorts of crap that never made it on the show. So it long is. and thanks for all the fish. Third <laughs> season of uh, of Andromeda, my boss was Bob Engels. Uh, oh, from Twin Peaks. Ah. Yeah, and from Sequest. Oh. And he told the best stories that apparently, like, I don't know, I should be, this is telling tales out of school, but who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> that apparently, like, they had, uh, like, David Kemper, like, they gave him a pager. And they told him that they would call him like at any time, day or night. And that if he didn't answer, that he was fired. And they would just, to screw with him, like they would just call him at like two o'clock in the morning. They would just sit up, getting high, (laughs) like outside the writer's room and then just, you know, call David Kemper. I mean, it's just amazing what a small little world. It's funny, there's an actual direct connection to Star Trek and Sequest. 
Um, the uh, the company that was formed to do most of the visual effects for Sequest was Amblin Imaging. Uh, and uh, they actually did the first digital Voyager for Star Trek Voyager and uh, did a bunch of uh, shots for uh, the first season. Interesting. So there. Oh, man. I see Quest. That brings back memories. Mm. Not good ones, but it brings back memories. They finally gave Roy Scheider a bigger boat, and what did he do with it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, I remember going to the premiere on the Universal lot for that and just it was a great party afterwards. But I mean, um, oh, my God, Shelly Hack was. Oh, I think I saw it before they recut it. I think they replaced her. But Shelly Hack was like the president of the United States or something. And um, it was a mess. It was such a mess. It never got better. They kept trying to fix it. And it just got worse and worse. That show. I got, I got to visit the set that was in the stage that the uh, Phantom of the yeah, Opera, the opera stage, yeah. uh, was. Um, and here, it, you know, these sort of amazing uh, uh, orchestral columns and uh, opera house surrounding Darwin's tank, uh, which was uh, really crazy and very strange. <laughs> yeah, they also had that Battlestar Galactica shot on that, the original shot on that uh, stage oh, as sure. well. Is this their big at the time it was their biggest stage? It was stage. the biggest stage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it had a tank. And now it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. What they they tore it down for what? Probably a parking lot. Yeah. And I remember it's so funny. What's so interesting about that is you weren't allowed to tear down the phantom stuff. It was like behind a giant scrim because yeah. they considered they considered it, it was like, like bad luck if they um if they t- tore down the phantom yeah. uh, uh, so they left it up. It was like considered <laughs> and you know sacrosanct. What? It was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, somebody just at some point just didn't care anymore, and they yeah. tore it down. That was like it, it survived decades because nobody would tear it down because it was considered bad luck to try tear down the fan of the opera set. But anyway, um, so interesting, and 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 the shows go on. You know, even today, people are trying to recapture that Star Trek magic, um, and. Uh, People even trying to do it with Star Trek. Because they go on. They represent the eternal in all of us. Mm-hmm. But you could argue that there was a, a pretty successful variation on a theme of Star Trek in the 90s and early 2000s called The West Wing, which I think well, in a lot of true. ways feels like a Star Trek show. Yeah, character-wise. And character-wise. a sense of optimism and hopefully, and smart people, meritocracy, all that very much captured the spirit of early Star Trek. Um, and I, I people that said time that, that President Bartlett talked the computer into destroying itself. And I think part of that is you had somebody like Aaron Sorkin, you know, great dialogue, great characters um, and a lot of metaphor because it, it was a fantasy world because it was produced during the Clinton administration. But, you know, there, you, it didn't take place in our world. It took place in, you know, an alternate reality, you know, where some of the stuff was happening. So that's an you interesting want point me on that wall. You need me on that wall. <laughs> they were also, trying to everything, you know, diplomatic missions and, uh, you know, all that sort of thing happening. Yeah, no, that's 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 that's, that's great. And we, we've talked about that, like, you know, what are what are, you know, sort of when we did that episode, where we talked about. Um, movies that aren't Star Trek movies, but that are, you know, stuff like Hunt for Red October and, you know, all these movies, Master Commander, where we talked about movies that felt like Star Trek that had the the DNA of Star Trek, but weren't Star Trek movies. 
And uh, but, you know, look, that kind of leaves us with with the certainly no one on the show would say they weren't trying to recapture the magic of Star Trek. That Star Trek was an influence. Um, it's a show that is uh, about to enter its third season uh, now on Hulu. And that's Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. You know, I really wish they'd let us play music up here. Make these long trips go by a lot faster. You don't know how this crew is going to feel a year or even a month from now. I am sorry to have caused you distress. I'm going to use my imagination and pretend that didn't just happen. People are scared, Captain. Your crew is scared. Show the galaxy that humans are different, that we value life even when our enemies don't. You will be silent! Evasive maneuvers. They caught us by surprise. Return fire. All sections reporting heavy damage. Captain, the quantum core has been breached. You will surrender or you will die. Welcome to the galaxy. Which is a love letter to Next Generation. Uh, not only does it have a lot of the directors who worked on that, uh, uh, the composer, uh, Dennis McCarthy, um, and uh, so, you know, so many Brandon Braga who worked on Next Generation, um, but it pays homage to it um, and has uh, since day one. And what's so interesting is to see the show evolve because it, it started as an uneasy marriage between kind of science fiction and kind of raunchy, you know, Seth MacFarlane type you know, humor. But as the show went on and it became less successful, he had more autonomy and he was more interested in it becoming more Star Trek and less family guy. And as it did, it became a much better show. I'm a, I don't know about you. I'm a big fan of the Orville. I mean, they did a two parter called identity, which was their best of both worlds, which is a terrific episode of the show. And I'm really interested in seeing it on Hulu um, because I think they're really leaning into the, the sci-fi of it all, um, you know, they even rebranded it as um, uh, the Orville New Horizons to say this is a, a new show, different than what it was on Fox. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of two minds on Orville. I, I like its intent. Um, I never quite got into enjoying it like perhaps I should have. Um, and I, I just can't buy Seth MacFarlane as the captain. I just can't. I'm with you. What it cried out for was Richard Benjamin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I actually like I, I, I like him. I, I, I think he's done a great job on the show. I think it, they have a nice ensemble. You know, um, will it go down in history as one of the great science fiction series? I don't know. I mean, it hasn't finished its run, but I certainly, you know, find it unobjectionable. And when it's good, it's, it's quite it's, good. It's fine. I just find that it's so derivative. Uh, that it gets a little annoying to me. Well, it's a love letter to Star Trek. I mean, they make they well, don't so hide that a lot fact. of things, but that doesn't mean I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's interesting to see how the show has has evolved and 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 found its um, its space legs as, as Orville it must as... evolve. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, there's not a lot of Star Trek on television, so when you find something that sort of <laughs> captures the magic of the original. Um, uh, uh, you know, early uh, vintage Star Trek shows like Next Generation. It's 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 fun. There's not a lot of Star Trek on television, except for all the Star Trek that's on television now. Sure. So, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, that. <laughs> I guess you can say that. Um, but um, but yeah. So it's been it's been really interesting to see how you know the the, the quest continues to recapture. 
the magic, or as Dave Parker once said, the magic is inside of all of us. <laughs> Remember that? He said that about Phantom Venice, and they were quoting him. I don't know. I was being facetious or something, but it was like this famous guy. He, everyone was, oh, is the magic inside of you, Dave? It was like, I don't know if he was serious. Or anyway, but um, but this is interesting. Hey, this look, has been it's, fun. It's fun. It's fun going through, you know, memory lane and uh, remembering things that we liked when we were younger. Remember, Richard Benjamin and the twins. And Richard Benjamin and the twins. Yeah. Go chew your gum. It's yeah. not easy to recapture. You know, Star Trek is very unique and it took a long time to become what it, what it has become. I mean, you know, I've seen that, you know, even trying to do my show on CW Pandora, which is definitely influenced by Star Trek. To know why. We need to tell her the truth. She could be responsible for the death of every man, woman, and child in existence. I am never going to let this go. Pandora, new series, Tuesday, July 16th on the CW. You know, it's challenging. Well, obviously, we, we have a very limited budget, but to try and, um, uh, you know, capture what it is you love about Star Trek. And I think everybody loves different things about Star Trek, too. So, yes. um, that's for certain looking yeah. at the internet these days. <laughs> well, I know. And I mean, I don't know if you saw, I mean, uh, that, that survey we threw up recently of the greatest season of Star Trek, which, as we all know, is unquestionably the second season of the original series. And uh, the, the, the winner of our poll was Next Generation Season 3. So, um, you know, you, you definitely see this movement in the fandom, despite the fact that at the creation convention, when we announced the winner of the best Star Trek series, it was the original series based on creation survey of several thousand Star Trek fans. Well, so I'm not sure what those, to believe. I, I, I know what happened in those few months. Um, the older fans died off. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, I, I, it was interesting because Ashley had picked Deep Space Nine season five, and there's certainly a case to be made for that. Sure. Although I think you split the vote because a lot of people were really lobbying for season six which is also a phenomenal season of uh, Deep Space Nine. I think that's an episode we have to do back. We have to return to. I think yeah. we have to do a full episode on uh, Star Trek's greatest seasons. Because honestly, I mean, I think, look, on some level, saying Star Trek, the original series season two is practically a, a gimme, right? Like we could all just kind of go through that and say, yeah, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And these are all the reasons why that's awesome. Like when I said Star Trek season five, uh, Deep Space Nine season five, you know what? I I believe that I stand by that, but I think the discussion would be better if um, you know I had a little little opportunity to, to kind of think about it ahead of time. I to kind of break say it if you had a little booze, if I had a little booze, I'm not being. <laughs> look, I think I think this is a conversation, or maybe it's a panel. It might not be an episode; it might be a panel. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. We'll find out, uh, and we'll have an opportunity certainly to do. Uh, panels and some future events, which we'll be announcing hopefully in the coming weeks. Uh, some exciting places where you can meet the Trexperts and potentially become an honorary Trexpert. Um, if you're good. If you're very good. <laughs> right if thinking will be rewarded. Wrong thinking. <laughs> so, Steve, it was great to have you on the Trexperts. We're not used to having you uh, with this uh, merry band of brigands. Thanks for being our guest navigator. Well, thank yeah. you. It was, uh, it was, it, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And, and having your insight and your research and uh, we'll have to have you back. So who's who's before we wrap up, who's the winner? What's the best Star Trek series that isn't Star Trek, guys? 
We've heard you've heard all the candidates. Who's the winner? Who's the big winner? The I'm best thinking. Star Trek series that isn't Star Trek. Best Star Trek series that isn't Star Trek. I mean, I could be I could be that person and say Discovery, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> that way, uh, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to do that at all because that's unfair uh, to a whole bunch of uh, fans. Um, I, I I I gotta I gotta put my vote for actually the Star Lost. Oh, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I, I I mean, you might as well say Space Rangers. CBS is shirtless show with Jeff Gake. Remember that? And <laughs> oh Linda Hunt. Or- <laughs> right. What did you want to see me about, Colonel? I have a mission. But there's always a but. What's the mission, Chief? I have no idea. It's about the Banshee life form, Mr. Boone. I want you to catch one for me. What? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> or, or even oh, Space yeah. Above and Beyond. Well, you know, oh Space, above God, beyond, Space Above and Beyond. Space Above and Beyond is great. Right. We stand beneath a new heaven. After 150 years of calling out, the silence of the universe assures us we are alone. You and I are among the first to bring life to the stars. To this planet. The farthest any human has ever ventured. The, the, yeah. But it's it's really Star Wars, you know. Well, it's really Starship Troopers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's totally it's Starship Love Troopers. Love that show. Yeah, Love I don't think you show. make an argument that it's it's Star Trek. But Glenn Morgan and Jim Wong did such a wonderful job. Yeah. Kristen Cloak was terrific in it. It's a really Kristen good show. Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> and it's not. You know, it's well known because it was so short lived yeah. and it kind of had the whole Firefly thing happen where it was just so expensive for Fox that they yeah. didn't give it a chance. And I think they butted heads a lot with Glenn and Jim the same way that they butted heads with Joss on um, Firefly, you know. So anyway, um, they wanted more dinosaurs. More dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't they? People love dinosaurs. Okay, so Ashley, what about you? You've heard uh, all the all the shows. Uh, for Darren, heart- it's Star Star Lost. My look, my heart is with Space 1999. Space 1999. So you're going to say Star Maidens, but okay. Uh, um, you know what? If I had seen it, I probably would. Given and, and, that I and, still and, remember the Quark twins. If you didn't have to recuse yourself, would it have been Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, which you worked on, or, or would it still be Space 1999? Um, shit, that's a good question. Uh, I think we did a worthy show, but I think that Space 1999 really like it is in the shadow of star trek but it also carved out its own identity away from that um so i would i would still go with space 1999 great and what about you steve well it's clearly red dwarf (laughs) (laughs) once again we totally ignored just like we do at all the comic cons and they always get upset with us no, I'm with Ashley. My heart will always be with Space 1999. It was uh, it was a show I was really into uh, as a young person, and um, it, it just really stuck with me all these years. Okay. And I'd have to say, since we're saying that Buck Rogers Season 1 is not eligible, it's Buck Rogers Season 2, I, I can't go there. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I, I guess I'd have to go... And I, I'm not. I'm also going to recuse myself. I'm not going to name my own show. I don't think I'm going to pick Pandora. So um, I have to go with Babylon Five. Okay. Yeah, I go with Babylon Five. I, I you know, um, 
you know, Sliders also had its moments, but it was too uneven. But I, I think I think Babylon Five was more consistent, um, and uh, when it worked, it really worked. So um, those are all great picks. So Monday, <laughs> wrong show. Uh, but Steve, thank thank you so much for joining us. It was such a delight having you here and having your insight and your thoughtfulness and. Um, uh, it couldn't imagine somebody better to have at the helm. Uh, and I want to thank, <laughs> thank Ashley, you. as always, for joining us. Is a, I, I don't know if we can stop calling you newly minted because it's been nearly <laughs> My a year. Mint is getting older. <laughs> <laughs> You're no longer minty fresh. I'll <laughs> uh, get older, Tom. <laughs> and of course, uh, uh, Darren Dockerman. And of course, uh, all of you, you might have heard the very, very exciting news that was announced by Paramount last week that Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition is coming to Paramount Plus. On April 5th, April, April 5th. 5th, you can start watching it every day for hours and hours over and over and over again. Hours could seem like days. <laughs> and, um, and, and this is your chance to, to put your money where your mouth is and support this fabulous project. Because obviously, um, if it does well, um, Many maybe there'll be a sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. I don't know. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> but, you know, look, I, 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 we're all going to be seeing the seeing it next week uh, at a special screening um, and could not be more excited, not only to support our good friend, uh, Darren Dockerman, but to see this incredible achievement that many of us thought never would have been possible or seen the light of a projector bulb. And we couldn't be more excited for you, Darren, and the whole team, Mike and Dave, on this uh, incredible achievement. So uh, we're very excited and we're glad to uh, uh, release it to the world. Now, I know a lot of people have been asking, people have been asking, um, would we be doing an episode of the podcast? I, I think we've really covered it in depth uh, how uh, the road to um, the Motion Picture Director's Edition. But Perhaps uh, sometime in the future, we can get more in depth with everything, but uh, probably not till... Uh, everything is said and done. They've announced that the uh, that the 4K Blu-rays are being released sometime in September. Uh, so maybe sometime around then uh, we can uh, have a, a, a deep talk about it um, and see what the uh, listeners are interested in. I, I do because I know you are limited in what you can say. I do have a show I want to do, which I think would be interesting, which I'm mentioning for the first time. That's what you want. I want to do the road to Star Trek, the motion picture and talk about the evolution of the in thy image of robots return and in thy image and how that became Star Trek, the motion picture. Absolutely. We haven't done that. I think it'd be really interesting to talk about the evolution of the drafts and how different uh, it was and, and ultimately, you know, what it became, how it evolved much like and, and the, and the evolution of the scripts during shooting. Well, that as well. So that'll be something that we'll be tackling. But meanwhile, I hope your support, Darren and all the, the 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 team that worked on the motion picture uh, director's edition debuting on Paramount Plus. And if I read one freaking tweet about oh, why do I have to pay for this? You know what? It it's freaking. It's less than a movie ticket for a month. Okay, yeah. so subscribe for a freaking month and cancel. But don't complain about the fact that it's. What is it? Well, how much is it? I I don't even know. What nine ninety nine? Four ninety nine? Well, it's it's I think five ninety nine for a basic subscription. Okay, that's with is, commercials, which is a right? Bargain with commercials. You can get it without commercials. I, I, without I commercials prefer not to have the commercials. Bucks. Yeah. Ten bucks. That's the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee. 
That's you, a you, price of uh, you can't uh, even get a, a gallon of gas. I was just gonna say <laughs> a gallon of gas. So, um, you, you know, there's, it's, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Darren can't say these things because he's under an NDA, but I can say whatever I want. So, and I'm telling you, that's nonsense. If you love this movie, if you've been excited about seeing this movie, spend the freaking ten dollars and watch it on Paramount Plus. Because otherwise, we won't get nice things like this in the future. You know, whether you like it or not, this is how this stuff gets financed. So if you don't support it, it's not going to happen again. And this is the version of the movie that the film's director wanted you to see. And it's finally, finally uh, coming to you in that fashion, in that form. And we have we have a a great version now of the theatrical version. We're going to get a great version of the director's edition. God willing, we'll get a version of the ABC version for nostalgia purposes. <laughs> but but this is this is it. This is the end of the road. There isn't going to be an 8K or a 12K version of the director's lot. edition. So you need to support uh, this release. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people are saying uh, they love uh, love this movie, but I'm going to wait till the Blu-ray. No, don't do that. Look, just spend the money. Spend the money. Spend your money. Let your money vote for you. Exactly. Show That's them, how you tell them. Show them that their that their uh, ability to support this project was warranted. That's what I define as warranted. <laughs> show so, them you love Star Trek the way I show my children I love them. Spend money, and then we'll be doing a, a debate between Steve Asbell and Darren about Star Trek: The Motion Picture on a future episode. <laughs> that that'd be a boring one because we both love the movie. I know you both be pro pro. Could, yeah, we, funny. could we do an hour on viewer off? I was going to ask for for that. Uh, you know, I don't bring that up. I don't bring that up because I think, you know, Darren has worked so hard yeah, on this. And, and, no, and, and even though that. we all feel that that is, you know, a bad, a bad call, Ripley. It's not, you know what? That, it's the, not his the greatness of what they've accomplished is so much more important than any one quibble, you know, yes. about, I mean, look at what they've done, you know, and how hard they've worked on it. Now is not the time to belabor the viewer off thing. Whatever. We we'll still have the theatrical version if you want to see the viewer off twice. Look, <laughs> right? I've, so. I've, I've mentioned this before. I may put together a personal edit of the film uh, that, that has Kirk saying viewer off every five minutes. <laughs> Every five minutes. I love it. It's, I love the version I want. In fact, it's the, the viewer off planet. edition. If you want to see that on Paramount Plus, you need to support it so you can get the viewer off edition in 8K coming soon. Uh, I think Darren wants to say something in any viewer off. <laughs> anyway, so we want to thank our, our producers, Peter Holmstrom, Zach Raggett, um, and Natalie Miscali, and of course, all of you who've been so supportive of the podcast continue hopefully you will continue to be so uh rate us five stars to let people know they should listen to the podcast and you can continue the conversation about this and anything else um on um inglorious trek at twitter inglorious trexperts at um instagram and of course on facebook and we do occasionally read what you're saying we've had a lot of great conversation about the star trek six debate and uh we'll be interested in hearing why um you're going to tell us you're not subscribing to Paramount Plus because that's just ridiculous. Um, we don't charge you for the podcast. We could be Apple subscriptions. We could be doing Patreon and charging you the same amount. We don't do it. We make it free. So pretend you're paying us and just subscribe to Paramount Plus and watch the thing. I don't care if you cancel. There's no reason to keep it after that. But subscribe. No, that's not true. Did you watch Halo? No. 
Yeah, I watched it. How was it? Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's it's kind of like a Starship Troopers uh, take on. You know, I, I didn't play the video game. I, in the shadow good production of space value. above and beyond. I'd like to. I'll watch it anyway. Right. This, that's enough about all this. So, um, Darren, congratulations from all of us. We're very Thank excited. You. Excited about the premiere. Excited about watching it on Paramount Plus next on April fifth, and um, we're excited about uh, today, April Fools. The, so, you know, uh, here we are. <laughs> um, but uh, until next week, we'll be back with an all new episode of uh, Inglorious Transports. Behalf of Steve Melching. Ashley Miller, Darren Dockerman, and myself, Mark A. Altman. Keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.